Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. Josephine Virginia Gray is considered to be one of the very few female African-American serial killers. Her husbands and boyfriends had a nasty habit of being shot after making her the beneficiary of their life insurance policies. Those around her believe Josephine Gray's claims that she was a voodoo queen and practitioner of black magic. Intimidated by her powers, they refused to testify against her lest she put a curse on them that would see them wind up dead too. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. Now being a comedy true crime podcast means that we use dark humour as a means to tell horrifying stories but never at the expense of the victims or their families. If you think humour has no business being associated with tragedy, then jog on. Bloody Murder (laughs) may not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful, generous, witty and gorgeous patrons. Hey, Tara, we've had a few new ones join our new fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to loads of other episodes, including our In For A Penny, In For A Pound first season and ad-free versions of all of our regular episodes. As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron-only episodes where we really let fly. Levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges. And, of course, you're automatically entered into the draw for our monthly giveaways. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Born in Maryland in 1946, Josephine Virginia Gray grew up to be an attractive and formidable woman. 
She had a bit of a Pam Greer vibe and it worked wonders on all the men who came into her orbit. Without much education to fall back on, Josephine worked as a custodian for the Montgomery County Public Schools for nearly 30 years. Despite spending her days scrubbing toilets, hauling garbage and mopping floors, Josephine Gray was quite the glamour Family members described her as being flamboyant, sporting outfits to show off what her mama gave her and wearing full hair and makeup at all times. Much like yourself, Barney. Damn straight. Frances Gray, the first wife of Josephine's second husband, Robert, said, she acted like she came out of modelling school. She tried to be Miss It. Miss It? That doesn't sound particularly attractive to me, Tara. (laughs) Are you picturing a female version of Cousin It from the Addams Family? No, I wish. I was picturing a female (laughs) version of the scary blood-nut clown Pennywise from It, who lives in the Ah, sewers. Ah, sexy. Josephine Gray loved glitz and glamour and made a habit of living well beyond her means. Much like yourself, Tara. Nailed it. She didn't balk at maxing out her credit cards on shopping sprees at fancy stores like Saks Fifth Avenue, and she drove fancy cars, including a Cadillac Eldorado and a Chrysler New Yorker. Despite this, the men she chose to be with tended not to be so flashy. She liked her men like she liked her coffee, black, quiet, and doing what she told them to do. Another thing that separated Josephine from her neighbours in the quiet working class suburbs she lived in was the fact that she was a self-proclaimed voodoo queen and practitioner of black magic. Like most religions, voodoo is usually practised for benign purposes, but not the way she did it. Yep, she cast spells, crafted voodoo dolls with human hair and discarded toenails and never met a chicken she didn't want to sacrifice. Look, I know it sounds a bit far-fetched to us. i got to confess, I did roll my eyes. Yeah, but her friends and family were true believers and they were thoroughly in awe of what she claimed to be her dark powers. As such, they pretty much did what she told them to do. We didn't actually find any evidence to suggest she could turn people into toads. Yeah, um, yeah, but toads, that's kind of more witches. Like voodoo's making zombies. Old school. Well, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just might be because toads can't talk. Ribbit. Brains. (laughs) Although she lived in Maryland, Josephine didn't consider herself a pumpkin spice latte drinking basic witch. Oh, no, no, no. She bought her black magic supplies through a fancy dark arts outlet in New York City because sometimes only the finest zombie power will get the job done. Hey, baby, cut me a couple of lines of that sweet zombie powder, will you, love? You don't want that, dude. It's like roofing yourself. And then you wake up buried alive and possessed by evil spirits. In 1967, 21-year-old Josephine Gray married a quite fertile man named Norman Stribling. Well, nothing says fertile quite like the name Norman Stribling. (laughs) That's true. Together they had five children. Raising a large brood kept Josephine occupied for several years, but she soon tired of the mundane minutiae of staying home with an army of small children, and her eye and vagina began to wander. In the early 1970s, she started having an illicit affair with a co-worker she'd met at a part-time cleaning job, William Gray, who went by the name of Robert. So Bob is short for Robert, and Robert is short for William. What's William short for? Life insurance. Josephine's husband, Norman, had a $16,000 life insurance policy and named Josephine as his beneficiary. Oh, what's your back, Norman? Oh, he was. 
After he discovered Josephine was having an affair, he started to feel like his life was in danger and was worried his wife was going to go for a violent quickie widowhood, particularly after she attacked him with a screwdriver and a baseball bat. At the same time? I'd probably just go with the bat. Uh, I think it was two separate incidents, Tara. Makes more sense. Norman didn't report these attacks to the police as admitting you feared for your life due to being abused by a woman wasn't really a thing men were comfortable talking about in the early 1970s. Yeah, it's still considered a bit taboo to some. Yeah, it is, but it shouldn't be. Damn straight. In early February 1974, whilst lying asleep in their bed, Norman woke up to Josephine pointing a gun at his head. She even pulled the trigger. Luckily for Norman, the gun misfired. You know what I'm curious about is like, then what happened? Like, like, just kidding. (laughs) You've been pranked. Like, what what do you say after you try Uh, to shoot your husband and it didn't work? Like, you want pancakes for breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) Click. You know what? That might actually do it. Yeah. I'd be like, nearly Uh, got killed. Someone's making me pancakes. Kind of equals out. uh, Pancakes are pretty sweet. But like an ox, mark for sacrifice, Norman's luck wouldn't last long. Early in the morning on March 3rd, 1974, Norman was found in his parked car on River Road near his house in Montgomery County with a 45 caliber bullet in his skull. An unsurprising autopsy revealed that Norman Stribling had died from a single gunshot wound to the head. No witnesses came forward and there were no leads. Well, you'd think the whole trail of headless chickens from the crime scene to their house would have been considered a clue. Well, it would have been, Tara, if that had actually happened. Good point. Two weeks after Norman was shot, William, call me Robert, and Josephine, don't fuck with me, I'm a voodoo witch, were arrested and charged with his murder. Detective Joseph Medano was sure Josephine Gray, with Robert's assistance, was responsible for her husband's death. The problem was he couldn't prove it, as her family and friends refused to talk to him about her. They were all too scared of her voodoo powers. They didn't want her to get possessed by a spirit, eat some glass and dance to percussive instruments next to a fire about it? Hell no! This meant that the charges ended up getting dropped. Shortly after Norman's death, Josephine made a claim for his insurance benefits and later received a cheque for $16,000. That's not much for killing someone. No, I mean, it's the equivalent of around $84,000 today. Mm, That would buy a lot of zombie powder. That's true. Even the fancy stuff that you get in New York. But that's not what they spent the cash on. In August 1975, Josephine and Robert bought a house in Gaithersburg, Maryland, using the proceeds from Norman's insurance policy as a down payment. The couple had a child together, and in November that year, Josephine decided to make an honest man out of Robert, and the couple were married. William, call me Robert Gray, just so happened to have some life insurance policies of his own. Our research was unable to unearth whether he had the policies before he hooked up with Josephine or if he got them afterwards. Now, that would have been an awkward conversation if he'd got them afterwards. Honey, come sit with me. We need to talk. Sure, love. What's on your mind? You know how you just helped me kill my husband for his insurance money. Oh, yes. Well, I was thinking that you should take some life insurance policies out too. Obviously, I would be the beneficiary on all of them. Uh, I don't think we need to do that. I'm as fit as a fiddle. Just like our love, you're going to live forever, baby. But just do it to humour me, okay? You don't want me getting all voodoo on your ass now, do you, schnookums? Uh, 
Did you just pluck a hair out of my head? It wasn't me. It was the spirits. Men without life insurance make them very angry. Hmm. Hey, where's my jar of toenail clippings? Focus, honey. Life insurance. Get some. So either way, Robert ended up with several life insurance policies, naming Josephine as his beneficiary, one of which provided for payment of the mortgage on their house in the event of his death. Robert Gray's mother, Dora, was not a big Josephine Gray fan and said her son lived a miserable, miserable life with her. Dora the Josephine deplorer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nice. According to Robert's family, before he met Josephine, he used to be a loving husband to his first wife, Frances, and a devoted father to his six children. She likes some fertile old Josephine. She really she? does. But by the early 1970s, something had shifted in him. His ex-wife, Frances, told the Washington Post his whole demeanour just changed. He was distant. Mm, some voodoo shit. He stopped going around to his friends, his family, everybody. I knew something had to be wrong. This woman had so much hold over this man. You know, I'm pretty much like that. I don't. I stop going around to my friends and my family and everybody. It's just because I just prefer to just watch Law and Order episodes at home <laughs> by myself. <laughs> he does sound severely vaginomatized. Hey, baby. Frances said she was dealing in witchcraft and voodoo. She must have been feeding him something to make him do what she said. He wasn't himself. I have some idea what she was feeding him. Toenails and earwax. That's some serious voodoo shit right there. In the mid-1980s, Josephine Gray's teenage cousin Clarence Good came to stay with her and Robert. His family said he'd been having a tough time in his native Brooklyn and Josephine promised that she would take good care of him. And take care of him she did. But Good had nothing to do with it. Before he turned 20, Josephine and her cousin began having a sexy, sensuous, incestuous sexual affair. Oh, God. See, this really baffles me more than Australia's current toilet paper crisis. Josephine's about 40 at this point, and he's a teenager. Like, I wasn't even particularly into teenage boys when I was a teenage girl, let alone now. Like, just, ooh. And then there's the incest angle to consider. Yeah, double ooh. Ooh squared. Mm. Clarence's aunt, Corla Shields, said he was a teenager. She was an older woman. She knew what she was doing. And it was ooh. And it was ooh. But being married to Robert and knocking boots with her teenage cousin weren't quite enough to scratch Josephine's true crime itch, <laughs> as she was also having an affair with a male co-worker. Raising six kids, banging three dudes and working. How does she find the time? Not only that but she was also planning the murder of her second husband. If she was taking some kind of vitamin supplement to give her the energy to do all of this, I need to find out what it was and where I can get me some. Even if it's full of toenail clippings? Especially if it's full of toenail <gasps> clippings. Yum! Uh, yum! <laughs> According to Robert's family, in the summer of 1990, Josephine chased him through the house with a gun. He escaped by jumping from the second-storey balcony of their place and running away, eventually hiding out at his folks' house. Robert Gray was a smart man. He took this as a sign that he probably should think about moving out. He also clued on to Josephine's affair with her cousin Clarence as well. Ugh. Mm. The whole thing was just getting more dangerous and icky by the day. In August 1990, Robert moved out to an apartment in Germantown and removed Josephine as his beneficiary on some of his insurance policies. 
He told friends and relatives he feared he would be killed by Josephine and Clarence. Even one of Josephine's sons, concerned for Robert's safety, went to the police and said, I think my mother's going to kill my stepfather. Oh, what ended up happening to him? Ribbit. Brains. Robert didn't want to talk to the police about what he was going through as he was scared he would get implicated in the open investigation into Josephine's first husband, Norman's murder, because it was likely he was involved in it. Detective Joe Madano, still hoping for information on Norman's murder, tried several angles to get him to open up. Madano said, When I spoke to him, he appeared to be a nervous wreck. He was clearly scared for his life. He knew it was coming. In late August 1990, Robert Gray brought criminal charges against Josephine Gray, alleging that she had assaulted him at work, clubbing him with a club and trying to knife him with a knife. Robert Gray also brought charges against Clarence Good, alleging that Clarence had threatened him with a 9mm handgun. Well, not the gun, with the bullets in the gun. It looked like the tide might finally be turning on wicked Josephine Gray. On October 5th, Robert appeared in court, but the case against Josephine and Clarence was postponed. Later that day, Robert was driving home when he saw his wife's car driving behind him. She flashed her lights at him and signalled for him to pull over. Hell no. Mm-hmm. When he ignored her requests, Josephine sped up and drove her car alongside his. As Robert turned to look at his wife, Clarence, who'd been lying on the front passenger seat, sat up and pointed a gun at him. Hey, want some pancakes? You better be making me pancakes. <laughs> Robert reported this incident to police and a warrant was issued for the arrests of Joe and Clarence. One week before the November 16th trial date, Robert got off work from his job as a building services manager at Clopper Mills Elementary School and went home to his new apartment. Before he even had a chance to take off his coat, someone ambushed him and shot him dead with a 45 caliber handgun. Jesus, they could have shot him before he went to work. Oh, God, yeah, look, if it's going to happen before work, look, not, he, a, not after Look, work. he just got home. He's probably ordered some Chinese. There's a new SVU episode on tonight. Oh, he was just about to take his shoes off, yeah, unbutton his, feet his up. pants. Uh, probably take his pants off. Maybe have a beer. Maybe have a beer. Oh, it's cruel, isn't it? Yeah. In a not-at-all surprising turn of events, despite Robert's attempt to have Josephine removed as the beneficiary from his insurance policies, she still managed to collect $54,000 from his life insurance. Voodoo. At the time of Robert's murder, Josephine was making sweet voodoo love to her young cousin Clarence, who lived with her from 1990 to 1996. The two never got married. Well, I don't even know if you could, could you? First cousin? I don't think so. Not legally. It depends what state you're in. Mm. The two never got married, but she did ensure that he had a life insurance policy for $100,000, naming her as sole beneficiary. That must have been an awkward conversation. Hey, sexy cousin, come sit with me. We need to talk. Hey, baby, slash mother figure, sure. What's on your mind? You know how you just helped me kill my husband for his life insurance money? Oh, yeah. And you know how the kitchen smells like burning hair? Roger that. Well, I was thinking you should take some life insurance policies out too. Obviously, I would be the beneficiary on all of them. Oh, I don't know about that. Respect your elders or get toted, kid. Frustrated to the core by their lack of success at solving Norman Stribling's murder case in 1974, police were dismayed when their prime witness in that case, Robert Gray, turned up dead too. 
The former prosecutor in Montgomery County, Thomas Tam, said police took extraordinary measures to try to prove Josephine Gray's guilt before she killed again. In April 1991, as there were no other suspects and because she had motive and form, Josephine and Clarence were charged with Robert's murder. In response, she said, I do not practice no voodoo and I do not practice no witchcraft. Just because I go and buy a lucky charm to play the lottery or something, or buy herbs and drink herb tea or take olive oil and anoint myself, that's in the Bible. Very eloquent. Point proven. Tam said the government's case fell apart after the two defendants were released on bail. There just was a marked difference in witness cooperation after she got out of jail, Tam stated. Although Josephine denied it, some of her relatives had told authorities they were approached by Josephine and intimidated into silence or asked to provide alibis. To several family members, the behaviour of Josephine and Robert Gray's teenage daughter was the most troubling. At first, she backed up her mum's story that she'd been working when Robert was shot, but later she told police the alibi she provided for her mother was false. But when asked to repeat this under oath, the daughter said she couldn't remember anything. Other potential witnesses also lost their memories, Tara. Mm. Former prosecutor Thomas Tam said they were afraid she had gotten away with murder in the past and how did they know she wasn't going to get away with murder again? We'll be back with the remaining 25 Shades of Josephine Grey after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Barney. Yes, Tara. What time is it? It's true crime nerd time. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic nong. Graphic, graphic nong? Graphic nong. <laughs> What's a graphic nong? It's like a cross between a graphic novel and song. It's oh. a graphic nong. <laughs> it's, a, it's a graphic song that's as long as a novel. Yeah. Okay, cool. Graphic novel, song, jar of toenail clippings Ooh. or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itchiness. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it and we'll read it out. And we have one here from Helen Deacon, and she writes, 2015, so your favourite local designers show you an amazing embroidered leather suit with skulls and guns on it, designed for the lead singer of a local Nottingham, England group called the Madeline Rust. Come along to a gig, they say, at the studio. Free drinks, free music. I'm in. Introduction on stage. Hello, we are the Madeline Rust, and we write songs about serial killers. My drink was put down and my intention was grabbed, and I've been hooked ever since. Lucy Morrow is a pocket rocket lead singer and bass player. 
Ali McNabb and Gerald Ruggio on guitars are obscenely good. And Mr. Martin Svivet on drums. Wow, baby. Also, he is known to dress as a zombie Amy Winehouse when the occasion arises, which I hope is often. That's possible. They have two albums out, Truth and Consequences, mainly based on Ted Bundy, then 21 Girls, which is based on a fictional killer and his victims. Of all the songs, Inside from their second album is my favourite. YouTube has a beautiful music video of the song, filmed by the lead singer's husband, Gavin Morrow. There is also a glorious Christmas stalking song for that seasonal touch. I can honestly say we have never been to a gig where they haven't been excellent and both albums are always a joy to listen to. See, I really don't like Christmas music, but that sounds like the kind of Christmas song that maybe I could Ah. get behind. Well, thanks, Helen. That was a bit different. It's good to get uh, some, you know, we get a lot of books and TV series, Mm. but to get a song or a band, a whole band, that's great. Yeah, that is really interesting. And that band was the Madeline Rust, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, um, you should do it because I'm running out. Visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. Hey, everyone. We're here to tell you about our podcast, Resolved Mysteries. We're a podcast that is equal parts friendship, nostalgia, and research on unsolved stories. Resolved Mysteries podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show, Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack, and provides the most recent updates on each segment. We are three friends who have a love for true crime, the unsolved, and justice. The stories we cover range from the very silly to the truly heartbreaking. We provide in-depth research that will have you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolve Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. And now for the remaining 25 shades of Josephine (laughs) Voodoo Queen Grey. After the murders of Josephine's first two husbands and her subsequent windfall when their life insurance policies paid out, Detective Madano was trying hard to prove to Josephine that crime didn't pay. Well, she'd had the opposite experience, really, hadn't she? We, she really had. He thought his best bet was to get Josephine's cousin lover to cooperate with police. Madano did his damnedest to get Clarence Good to talk. He made every effort to convince Clarence that he wasn't special and would surely be Josephine's next victim. But Clarence wouldn't hear a word of it. Just because she's had both her husbands killed doesn't mean I'm next. Come on, it's not like we're married. However, it didn't take long for Clarence's life to become increasingly stressful. By early 1996, with Josephine's mounting concern over being caught for the murders of her husbands, Clarence's brother Lenron Good said she kept him isolated. He had no car, no money. Clarence told his brother that Josephine had even removed the phone from their house. Well, maybe she grounded him for not doing his chores. And that was just part of the punishment. Soon afterwards, Clarence, sensing that his life was in danger, began staying with relatives rather than going home to Josephine. Look, it must have been really difficult for Clarence to try to extricate himself from Josephine's clutches, as she was not only his girlfriend, but also a kind of mother figure. An abusive, incestuous mother figure. Yeah, not a good... Clarence's sister, Veronica Davenport, said... She didn't want him to work. When he moved in with me, he found a job, and that's when she panicked and thought that he was going to tell. His brother Lenron went on to add, That boy was scared to death. He knew he was going to die. 
In April 1996, Clarence Good finally cracked under the pressure. He told police that he feared for his life at Josephine's hands and that she'd assaulted him on numerous occasions, even pulling a knife on him. God, has she pulled a knife on everyone now? She's tried to knife people with knives. Yeah, but like pretty much everyone we've mentioned she's tried to knife. Shortly after the knife attack incident, in an effort to make killing him look less profitable to Josephine, Clarence closed the bank account that the premiums for his life insurance policy were paid out of. His insurance agency, Interstate Assurance, sent Clarence a letter in June 96 stating that he had a 60-day grace period before the policy would be cancelled for non-payment. The problem was, although Clarence was staying with his sister, his mail was still being sent to Voodoo Queen Josephine Gray's house. After reading the letter, Josephine realised that she had a two-month window to not only write Clarence Good's name on a piece of paper and burn it to the gods, but also to knock him off and make bank. On June 21st, 1996, Clarence Good's body was found in the trunk of his car in Baltimore. He had been shot in the back. After the police obtained a warrant to search Josephine's house, they found a large stain on her garage floor that appeared to be blood. Josephine filed a claim to cash in on Clarence's life insurance in September 1996. His insurance company refused to pay her because they suspected Josephine was involved in Clarence's death. When Josephine had still not been arrested for his murder two years later and her guilt could not be proven, Interstate Assurance paid Josephine $100,000 in benefits under Clarence's policy. When packing up her murdered brother's belongings, Veronica Davenport found a black voodoo doll with human hair among his possessions. Because Josephine viewed relationships like most of us view jobs, she'd already lined up another man before retiring Clarence from her life. And life in general. The next in line for Josephine's murderous affections was a man named Andre Savoy. Apparently she stoked the fires of love in him by showing him a copy of Clarence's insurance policy and telling him she'd buy him a brand new shiny Mustang GT with the payout. Although she never came through with the new car, she did start looking into obtaining life insurance on him. You'd think if she was actually a powerful voodoo witch, she'd find better, less dangerous ways to make money. Yeah, like why not magic yourself into a cushy, well-paying job that you do virtually nothing in instead of working a dead-end job and murdering guys? With three murders under her belt and no doubt there would be more to come, investigators scrambled to charge Josephine with something that would stick. Former Montgomery County Assistant State's Attorney Tam said police and prosecutors tried every investigative technique we could think of. Yeah, they exhumed Norman Stribling's body, hoping in vain to find critical evidence that may have been overlooked at the time. They bugged Josephine's house in the hopes of hearing her incriminate herself in the murders, which they didn't get. They did, however, hear her performing a voodoo ritual where she repeatedly mentioned the investigating detective's name. Oh man, Madano must have been feeling like he was getting too old for this shit. Maybe she knew they were listening in and just wanted to fuck with them. Maybe. Uh, They searched Josephine's house, removing a chunk of the garage floor they suspected was stained with blood. They even recorded a conversation between Josephine and someone they referred to as a voodoo doctor. He told her to take two aspirin and four toenails and call him in the morning. Despite all the effort they put into finding evidence against her, Tam said they still didn't have enough to take Josephine to court on murder charges. 
1998, Clarence Good's relatives filed a suit in Baltimore City Circuit Court arguing that Josephine shouldn't have been allowed to collect on his $100,000 policy because she'd caused his death. My brother was scared of this woman, Lenron wrote in a 1998 letter to the City Circuit Court. But because voodoo gives you a Teflon coating, this attempt to bring Josephine down didn't stick either. Sick of banging his head against the brick wall of the justice system, but refusing to let Josephine Gray get away with murder, Detective Madano came up with a novel way to get this black widow held accountable for her crimes. Madano went to federal authorities and suggested that they prosecute her on fraud charges. Assistant US Attorney Sandra Wilkinson agreed with this plan and thought the case could be successful. Insurance policies are very strict in the requirements for a claim and Josephine's case raised many questions and eyebrows around the nature of the deaths of her three partners. If they could prove that she killed them to cash in on their life insurance policies, then there was a strong case against her. The murder trials would have had to have been held separately at a state level, but a fraud trial could look at all of the murder charges together on a federal level. The prosecution had to prove their fraud theory based on the Slayer's rule. In every generation, there is a chosen one. I'm the thing that monsters have nightmares about. Okay, so the, the Slayer's rule actually has nothing to do with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it is still pretty cool. It's a law that makes it illegal to receive an insurance payout if you caused the claim. And authorities were sure that Josephine Gray was responsible in some way or another for all the claims she'd made. The biggest issue they faced would be getting witnesses to come forward as it had proved so difficult in the past. When Detective Madano found out that Josephine had taken out a life insurance policy on her new victim, I mean boyfriend. You mean victim. I mean new boyfriend and probable victim, Andre Savoy, Detective Madano spoke to him about it. Andre was blissfully unaware that Josephine had taken a life insurance policy out in his name. She probably took one out on Detective Madano. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that was probably what they overheard her doing when they, were, when, when they thought she was trying to curse him. She was just trying to communicate with a bank about how to get an insurance policy mm. on him. She didn't have enough toenails. You need the toenails. Yeah, well, first you get the toenails. <laughs> <laughs> then you get the toilet paper. Oh, then you get the power. <laughs> That's right. And, of course, all the women come flocking. And then you get the insurance money. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sweet. After getting hit with this truth bomb, Andre did the math on Josephine's past and got shit scared that he would be her next victim. After changing into a pair of clean pants, he agreed to work with the police as they pursued a fraud case against her. Andre admitted to police that Josephine had boasted to him about her involvement in the deaths of her husband and lover. He also said that he'd seen her with the 45 caliber gun used in all three shootings. In November 1998, a federal grand jury handed up an indictment charging 55-year-old Josephine Gray with mail and wire fraud for collecting a total of $165,000 from the three murdered men's insurance policies. To find her guilty, the jury just had to believe that Josephine played some role in the murders to collect insurance money. If they believed she was even partially involved in arranging the men's deaths, there was enough there for a conviction. 
Being a master manipulator, Josephine called Andre from prison and tried to get him to stop cooperating with authorities. But he clung to this course of action like his life depended on it. Because it did. In court, Josephine portrayed herself as a sweet, gentle, Bible-reading Christian who went to church every Sunday. This contrasted wildly with the evidence presented against her, which included voodoo dolls stuck with needles and a police wiretap recording of her casting voodoo spells on investigators. <laughs> that, that is quite a, a wild contrast. It really is. Josephine's cousin, Corla Shield, said in court that Josephine regularly dabbled in voodoo and witchcraft. She claimed she went with Josephine to a house in Maryland in the early 70s where a woman told her, put this on your husband and he scratched himself up. Oh, so she was outsourcing her voodoo back then. Yes. Shield said she later witnessed a furious argument between Josephine and her first husband, the fertile Norman Stribling, in 1974. Shield said Norman was about to knock Josephine down the stairs, but then he scratched up his face with his fingernails instead. That's some voodoo shit right there. I know, but everything about that sentence is terrible too. Like, it makes me wonder, was was he really abusive or did they both just abuse each other, you know? Yeah. Mm. Other witnesses testified that they had seen Josephine in possession of a forty five handgun and police investigators retrieved a forty five caliber bullet from her purse. Josephine also claimed to have had an alibi that other witnesses at trial discredited. According to witnesses, Josephine had even offered an acquaintance $2,000 to kill the fertile Norman Stribling back in 1974. He's very fertile. I have to mention it every time. Uh, I feel like perhaps people might get it by now. Wilma Jean Wilson, a friend of Josephine, said Josephine had shown her newspaper articles describing her prior arrest for killing her former husbands. Wilson asked her if the reports were true. In an emotionless, matter-of-fact way... Josephine told Wilson that I killed both husbands and another gentleman. According to Wilson of Norman Stribling's murder, Josephine told her that they had gone out for a ride and she had shot him. She left the body over on River Road and it was set up to look like a robbery. Although Josephine said she was alone with Stribling when she killed him, she had help killing Robert Gray. So maybe Robert Gray didn't help kill Norman Stribling. Maybe. It all depends on which story you believe, yeah, Tara. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, Josephine said her lover cousin Clarence Good had helped her kill Robert. And she told Wilson that Clarence had tried to blackmail her afterwards, demanding money in exchange for his silence about the murder of Robert Gray. So she had to get rid of him too. But remember, we're not really dealing with someone that reliable. We've got to no. kind of believe what you want to believe with all of this. Josephine's cousin, Corla Shield, stated in court, We all knew she did it. We just didn't talk about it too much. It was the witchcraft, mostly, that kept people from speaking to authorities, Clarence's brother, Laurent, told the court. Fear permeated this entire case, said Thomas Tam, who had tried unsuccessfully to prosecute Josephine for her two husbands' murders. For her part, Josephine said that accusations against her stemmed from jealousy among family members who thought she wasn't paying enough attention to them. Oh, I love that. It's, <laughs> like, it's like when someone gives you a lot of shit. And you probably deserve it. And you, and you know what? They're just jealous. Yeah, they're just jealous. Yeah. Because, yeah, because reasons. Yeah. That's why That's why people tell me I drink too much. I just say, you're just jealous. <laughs> you're just jealous. 
What did they tell us of in that scenario? Yeah. That's what I say to the doctor when he says, you probably should eat better and get more <laughs> exercise. Well, you're just jealous, aren't you? <laughs> oh, oh, right. Yeah, like when I fuck oh. something up at work and they tell me, I'm like, oh, you're just really jealous of my boogie. I, when that cop t- pulled me over for speeding, I said, you're just <laughs> jealous, aren't you? <laughs> I get it now. It makes perfect sense. On August 16th, 2002, Josephine Gray was found guilty on eight counts of mail and wire fraud. She was convicted of intentionally causing the deaths of William Robert Gray and Clarence Good, therefore making it illegal for her to collect on their insurance policies. And by the way, well done to that jury to just wade through all of that bullshit because that would have been, been a, a lot of complicated dry case. shit. Yeah. Um, So due to a lack of evidence in the 1974 murder of her first husband, Josephine was not prosecuted for killing Norman Stribling or claiming his life insurance benefits. Yeah, look, it had been 28 years since he was killed, so it's pretty hard to prove things that late in the picture, isn't it? Yeah, it would have been a tough Mm. one to prosecute. On December 3rd that year, voodoo queen Josephine Gray was sentenced to 40 years in prison with no chance of parole following the sentencing guidelines for first-degree murder rather than fraud. U.S. District Court Judge Deborah Chassanow held that since Josephine had committed premeditated murder, she should be sentenced using the guidelines for such an offence as opposed to the guidelines in place for fraud. It's all a bit tricky really, isn't it? Well, she might have committed premeditated murder, but she certainly wasn't found guilty of premeditated murder. So, yeah. It's tricky. Look, she is getting what she deserves, Uh but I I don't know about this sidestepping legal mumbo-jumbo, though. It doesn't sit well with me, Tara. Well, Detective Madano, who had worked the case since Norman Stribbing's murder in 1974, had finally found a way to get Josephine punished for her crimes, whether you agree with it or not. But, like, that took 28 years for the poor guy. He must have been so getting too old for this shit. I'm I'm tired of that whole Mm. shit. I'm tired of your shit. I'm so tired of this shit, Josephine, for fuck's sake. Tired of your shit, Tara. Yeah, well, so am I, Barney. You try living with it 24-7. You don't have to do that. Yeah, yet here we are (laughs) in the same room again. In 2006, Josephine appealed her sentence in the hopes of being sentenced on the guidelines for fraud instead of murder, but her appeal was denied. Whoa, what a story. Yeah, now she has to make toilet voodoo powder, zombie powder. Now she has to make zombie powder in the toilet. So many twists and turns in that story. I felt like I was in a minecart. In an Indiana Jones film, and it was lava coming down. And, oh, so much lava. You know, poison arrows coming out of skulls mm, and yep. all of that kind of thing. Yeah, it was, it was quite freaky. It's an adventure. That's what <laughs> it, was, it was. It was a dastardly, it deadly was adventure. an adventure. Well, I have but one question. Yes, Barney? What is Aussie As? Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? I would. A Brisbane man had himself a bit of a mischief recently when he laughed so hard at a joke he heard on breakfast radio that he crashed his car into the vehicle in front of him. Whoa. Sean Kelly was driving on the M1 to work in Brisbane last November while listening to 4KQ breakfast radio hosts Laurel, Mark and Gary. 
Laurel was talking about her son getting a haircut when Gary said something that made Prawny belly laugh so hard that he crashed into the back of a truck and got knocked unconscious. Whoa, so his name's Sean, but you're calling him Prawny. Shawnee Prawny. Well, that's what you call your brother, Sean. Yeah, I used to call him And he does not like it. He does not like it. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought I'd just, I'm plagiarising you again, actually, Uh, is what I'm doing. Well, shout out to my uh, brother, Shawnee Prawny, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) This one's for you, Prawny. Shawnee Prawny said as soon as he regained consciousness, he remembered the joke and he started laughing hysterically again. Passers-by who stopped to try to help him were worried that his laughter was a sign that he was hurt and in shock, possibly concussed. To assure them that he was okay, Prawny said, I told them the story and they started laughing. Then the ambulance came up and they said, stop making him laugh, he could be hurt. So I told the ambulance people and they started laughing. The joke still makes Prawny laugh every time he tells it, despite having to repeat it to doctors and nurses in the hospital all week. Prawny said, I was in hospital for six days and for six days, I swear, the nurses and doctors every day asked, can you please tell us the story of what happened? Prawny told the Korea Mail newspaper that this is not the first time he's found himself laughing to the point of crashing his car over something said on his favourite breakfast radio show. He said, they just make me laugh. It's happened before when my wife was in the car. Uh-oh, Shawnee, you're in trouble. So um, that was when his wife first tried to ban Prawny from listening to the radio show. Prawny, secure your load. Yeah, come on, Prawny. Um, so do you want to hear the joke, Barney? Yeah. See, I think having so much build-up to it has probably not worked in the joke's favour. Um, I didn't crash anything when I heard it. But I think my expectations might have been unrealistically high and also my sense of humour is a hell of a lot more explicit. So here's a clip of Prawny calling radio station 4KQ to retell the joke and explain to the hosts what happened. Laurel, Gary and Mark. Uh, LJ says we've got Sean hanging on the line, wants to talk to us. Good morning, Sean. What can we do for you? Uh, I've just got a story to tell you. You were talking about your son Clay getting his beard cut. Uh-huh. You mentioned that, uh, yeah, he got his little curls cut and Mark or Gary said, and his beard. And I thought that was hilarious. I was driving on the highway, so I started barely laughing. I crashed straight into the back of a truck. Oh. I got knocked unconscious. When I woke up, the people around me, and I remembered straight away what happened. I started laughing. They go, oh, you could be in shock. Settle down. So I told them. They started laughing. <laughs> then the ambulance turned up. The ambulance turned up and they said, well, stop making him laugh. He could be hurt. So I told the ambulance people. They started laughing. <laughs> I rang my wife and told her, she goes, that's it, you're never listening to that station again. It's too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I was in hospital for six days. I wrote my car off. So, yeah. Hey. Well, there you go. He went on to say, my wife's banned me. I have to sneak into the car to listen to it. <sighs> I hope he's sneaking into a stationary car to listen to it. Or a what? car someone else is driving. Is that a car that's got envelopes in it? Yep, and it's and not pens. moving. Not moving at all. Oh, yeah. um, I just don't think it's safe for Prawny to be um, listening to 4KQ on his daily commute. It's not safe for him or us or just anybody involved. And get those pubes cut off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or something. Something about pubes. Something about pubes. You know what? Prawny is probably still laughing about this joke right now. He probably is. He probably is, you know. Uh, Oh, Prawny. Oh, Prawny. This brings us to the end of another episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to Freya Bean from the United States. And Curious Roz 
from also from the United States. We'd also like to thank our Facebook moderating team. We love our patrons, Tara, and to attempt to show them how much we do, we're holding monthly giveaways. February's lucky winner of an awesome set of Bloody Murder fridge magnets was Heather Ignash. Congratulations. This month, we're giving away a Bloody Murder t-shirt. Not just any t-shirt. Nuh-uh. This is a t-shirt with the design, Tara Touch My Muscles. No, Barney, stop being weird. Spot all the Bloody Murder references in this turn-of-the-century game of Murder Spotto. <laughs> For a chance to win, just join our Bloody Murder Patreon at a level of $5 or above. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program. So thank you to... Shari Kay or Scully Mama. Jamie Stone. Peter Stewart. Uh, the hard-to-pronounce David Smith. Ashley Durbin. And the lovely Becca Waring. That was actually some of the easiest names we've ever had to say. Yeah, but we was... probably still fucked them up. I don't know. Da- <laughs> David Smith, that was a bit tricky. David Smith. <laughs> if you would like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink or a bunch of bananas, mm-hmm. there's a PayPal donate button there too. <laughs> I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraben. And this was Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page. Or Stitcher, because everyone on Stitcher hates us. Why do they hate us? Oh, people of Stitcher change your ways. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. You can follow us through our Facebook page or join our wonderful Facebook group. Uh, On Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod. And on Instagram, we're at Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, BloodyMurderPodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes, and links to our threadless merchandise. Thanks for sticking around, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Uh, Barney, I think it's quite important um, as an employee that we have a little meeting to discuss the way that you've been using the kitchenette. Uh, the kitchenette is a public area, Barney, that um, not just you gets to enjoy, like everyone in the office gets to I use cl- the kitchenette. I, I clean it. Really? I have been cleaning. I clean it. Yeah. Um, so sure. just, uh, just a few suggestions, uh, such as every time that you were to make yourself a cup of tea or coffee or any other kind of refreshment, Barney, yeah. um, it might be nice of you if you were to wash the teaspoon afterwards and dry it and put it back in the teaspoon part of the well, I normally do. I know you've got the signs up there. Sometimes in a rush, I'm in a rush and I forget to do it. You know, like everybody does. You no, know? well, look, Barney, I think it's sort of up to all of us to try and have the best work environment possible. So because aren't we all just people who are trying to do our best and be as best as we possibly best can best? Has there been complaints? Um, there have been a few complaints. Who are yes. they? Can you tell me their names? I'm afraid that I'm not at liberty for privacy reasons to give that information away. Oh, well, I just want to discuss it with them. Well, I just don't see with the my... need for that. I think really? that if you were to perhaps wash your teaspoons and dry them oh, and put that. them in the teaspoon part of the teaspoon drawer, hey, there would be no problem. I'm in management at Bloody Murder. I don't. Oh, someone else could do it, couldn't they? Look, as the public officer, it's important for you to put a good public face on the whole organisation. And that also includes the way that you use the microwave. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I think it would just be really great for everyone in the office if you actually covered your spaghetti and soup or whatever it is before you put it in the microwave. Yeah, I'm not going to do that too. You're not going to cover your soup? I don't eat soup. 
Oh, or drink well, it. I, I mean, don't even know what soup is. I'm afraid that I, d- I didn't actually taste it, Barney. All I, all I did was, it was see spaghetti. that it was, I thought that perhaps it was a nice tomato soup. It, Maybe you like it hot. Maybe it was gazpacho, but well, you just prefer cold. to heat it up. No, I'm not an idiot. We don't use the I word. <laughs> we don't use the I word in yeah. this office, Barney. Yeah? There's no I in cunt? <laughs> <laughs> there is certainly no I in cunt. Also, think... we don't use the cunt word in this office, Barney. <laughs> what? Are you going to tell me office wearing? Oh, no. I mean, I would never do a thing like that. But um, I will have to make a note on your file. And uh, you'll Can... actually have to go to sensitivity training. What are you writing over down Over the there? next few weekends. Well, it starts with a C and it ends with a T. And I'm going to let you guess the rest. Oh, it starts with an F and ends in a U-C-K. Fire truck. Um, I hereby declare this meeting over. Uh, can I have a look at that file? No. Why not? It's about me, isn't it? Yes, it's a personnel file, and I'm afraid that you don't have the clearance necessary. Oh, well, fuck you, Business Tara. (laughs) (laughs) I think Business Tara should go fuck herself too. You can go by from Intimidated. Though I think you could go have some fun with Voodoo Queen. Yeah, you want more? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Bring bring in a little bit more, yeah. (coughs) You want some more? Not over the top, just a little bit more. Not nah, just two settings, dude, on and off. <laughs> it's like my wardrobe, uh, either kind of, you know, going yeah. out or completely either, not going yeah, out. Yeah, it's either a crocheted string bikini or a fucking sleeping bag. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep. Sleeping bags, what I go out in. Cro- crocheted string bikini for home. That's Yeah, that's true crime watching oh, yeah, garb. Uh, yeah, that's Netflix not... and crocheted string bikini. That's what I like to call yeah, it. Woo! Woo! As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron-only episodes where we rarely let fly. Really? You like? Rarely. Should I do that again like a human, not like a parrot? Or did you like yeah. the parrot version? As well as exclusive monthly uncensored patron-only ah. monthly episodes where we rarely let fly. That was good. I liked it. It was, it was a little bit... A little bit angry, a little bit desperate. Yeah, it was like an ang- angry... What do they call those little... Irish dudes. Uh, leprechaun. Yeah, like an angry leprechaun. Yeah, who was a little bit confused. Yeah. You're not catching my pot of gold. Oh, remember when we watched that leprechaun movie that had a very young Jennifer Aniston in it? Yeah. And he really, he was obsessed with shining shoes for some reason, the little evil leprechaun. There's like six of them or something. Oh, well, there was that one where they were in space. Yeah, I don't think we even watched more than a few seconds of it because I think it just it wasn't as funny as it should have been. And there was leprechauns in the hood and leprechauns oh, right. in the hood too. Well, I mean, you'd want a sequel considering the brilliance of the first one. Well, absolutely. I don't know where we're up to. Okay, do you want me to do that as a human? Yeah, do it as a human. (laughs) Should I maybe try being human all day? That could be fun. Yeah, let's not push it. (laughs) As well as exclusive monthly. So we. Sorry, I'm I'm just going to adjust my hair because it's annoying me. It's annoying the fuck out of me too. Look at that. <laughs> it's just because you're jealous because you don't have any. It's mocking my baldness. <laughs> your stupid head hair. You know what it is? Last time I went to the hairdressers, they were like, you know, what do you want me to do? And I went, something that will mock Barney's baldness, please. Yeah. Good. Now, the last time I went to the hairdresser was that really mean guy whose complete lack of charisma was quite entertaining. He was like, um, you have very thin hair. Your ends are no good. 
<laughs> well, he's not wrong, but you know, he could, could say it in a nice way. I was just like, wow. Uh, at I least you're if- not Barney. Yeah, I was like, I wonder if he's going to stick to criticising my hair or if he's just going to like give me a whole like complete living autopsy. He's stuck to just the hair. Nice. Yeah, just my hair shit. Rest of me. Who was born in Maryland in 1946? Me. Raising a large brood, Josephine occupied... (laughs) (laughs) Are you just random word projections? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a random word projection. It's, yeah, uh, you know, it's like yeah, a thing I it's do. It's a train it's, of thought it's kind of exercise. Like, it's art. It's art. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's art, but with an F on the front. And the and the back. And the back. Farts. So farts. Yeah, just like Grandma used to make. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Grandma, no one farts like Grandma. Oh, my God. I, when I, I heard that episode the other day when I did the pretend, pretend Rodney Rude, some grandma's getting fucked by the well or some horrible, horrible thing. I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. Oh, yeah, grandma's getting fucked by the well. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, it's actually way worse than what he says. And yeah, what he yeah. says is really bad. <laughs> so I'm technically worse than Rodney Rude. Robert Gray's mother, Dora, was not a big Josephine Gray fan and said her son lived a miserable, miserable life with her. Dora the Josephine Deplora. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, that's your one witty thing that you say a year already yeah, done. Right. You can, you can just go back to sleep now. <laughs> I could just go back to sleep. That's, pretty, that's, me, that's me done. All right. All right. Barney, Barney's out. Only the 14th Nina of March. Can. Look, I'm sorry about all you people that crashed your cars listening to that. uh, (laughs) More on that later. You. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. What even was that? That was me doing the rest of the... (laughs) (laughs) That was the rest of your script. That was the rest of my script. I put all of the syllables together. Ah, to make one splat. One, one word. That's all the information in one word. Blah, there yeah. it is again. I'll do your bit as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that did sound like me. Ah. He escaped by jumping from the second story balcony of their place and running away, eventually hiding out at his folks' house. Hoose. Hoose. <laughs> last last word of the set. Hoose. <laughs> what the fuck is a hoose? It's like a Canadian house. It's a hoose. It's a, where a horse lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of like made out of a hearse. Right. It's a, it's a house yeah, it's, for a horse made out of a hearse. Uh, it's hiding away at his folks. Hoose. <laughs> <laughs> it, maybe like an English Scottish person would say hoose. Eventually hiding out at his folks' house. Christmas. Na, 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 na. I said Christmas. Oh, okay. No, I was thinking more like uh, 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 Christmas, Christmas presents. I'm going to uh. be stalking your ass. I said Christmas. That's me hiding in the grass. I said <laughs> Christmas. Uh, yeah, you always hiding in the grass. Yeah. You? Makes me itchy. Uh, it's, then I have to scratch my true garbage. You couldn't even hide in a cornfield, <laughs> you tall motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I couldn't, couldn't hide in uh, New York City. I'd be taller than all the buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Swiping planes out of the sky. That's I what know. it says in that song. Lucy Morrow might be a pocket rocket. What's the opposite of that? Because that's what I am. You know, he should have just called him up and cancelled it. I think One phone call could have fixed it. I know oh, he didn't have a phone. Oh no, he'd moved out by then, hadn't he? 
Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm, I think he was worried about it being cancelled. I'm also curious, like, there's some grey areas there, about her maybe getting policies out in people's names without them necessarily knowing. Yeah, Josephine Grey areas. Yeah, Josephine Grey. Fifty Shades of Josephine Grey areas. <laughs> oh, well, you're done. That's me out uh, Yeah, that's your out. Wait. Who's going to finish I, doing the episode I li- I, if we're both done? I like how we like we just congratulate ourselves for saying something funny on a comedy podcast like we've just ended child poverty. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids should get a fucking job, mate. Yeah. You know what? I'm a bit of a dick and so are you. Yeah, I know. Oh, right. Well, cool. Let's move oh, on. Was that your point? I thought you were going to go, you know, I'm a bit of a dick and so are you. Well, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Just no you're a dick. You're a dick. I know that. Oh. I, I've, I've had iTunes reviews that literally say, Tara, you sound like a dick. I've been <laughs> told, man, this is not news to well, me. Well, they're, they're not wrong. I know. I was like, yep, we have an accord. Bang on the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, I wish my mum would stop writing those reviews. Uh, well, you know. His insurance company, as we previously mentioned, uh, yeah, Interstate maybe Assurance. Don't say that. Just say Interstate Assurance. <laughs> His insurance company. No, That's just... previously mentioned Interstate <laughs> Assurance. God, okay, sure. I get what you, you you're going for a bit now, aren't you? It's, I don't have any bits. I've done my bit for this decade. <laughs> I've told you. Well, you're just going to sort of let this sort of like kind of lethargically roll out of your mouth for the rest of the episode. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just going to ooze out. Yeah, it's going to ooze like pus. Happy the pustule-like stylings ha- of Barney hey, Black. Hey, baby. After changing into a pair of clean pants, he agreed to work with the police as they pursued a fraud case against her. Oh, shit, his pants. I see what you did there. That's a very, it was a very Barney thing that I did was, there. Was it? Yeah. I oh, shit my pants, do I? No, but you often put in cha- p- putting on a clean pair of pants. Do in I? Scripts. Yes. I do. Yeah, oh. I was kind of copying you. I was paying homage oh, to oh, your poo jokes. No, you were plagiarizing me. I was plagiarizing you on our. Okay, but you make this podcast too. Can we plagiarize ourselves? You plagiarizing me shitting my pants. Although Josephine said she was alone with Stribling, when she, although. Although Josephine said she was alone with a very, very, no, very it. fertile stribbling when she called him. All the, <laughs> the sperm-infested stribbling. You know what? You're probably pregnant just saying his name this many oh, times. I'm pregnant now. I can tell. Just saying his name this many times. That got me pregnant too. God damn it. I loved you doing math then. I could see these rusty <laughs> wheels kind of trying to turn. Okay. And then eventually they turned and... And then one of them snapped and rolled off and <laughs> fell out your ear. But uh, yeah. I'm actually really good at basic maths usually. Really? You're yeah. a good basic math bitch, are you? Yeah, basic math bitch. Never had pumpkin spice anything though, so stick yeah, that right. up your ass, Barney. I will, I will. Up your spicy pumpkin butt. <laughs> my spicy pumpkin hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of my fourth album, Spicy <laughs> Pumpkin Hole. <laughs> you know what? It's kind of onomatopoeic, that album, because it actually... It actually sort of sounds and smells like it looks. <laughs> Much like yourself, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You know, when you just like dig yourself down and you just find yourself down there alone. With yeah. Them, you're kind of like in a box. There's no way out. Yeah, I know. And you and you look up at look up look up at me for help, and I just start shoveling dirt yeah. on you. <laughs> ah. right. Now you're dead to me now. Yeah, look, I get it. You probably have an insurance policy out on me, don't you? Oh, several. Oh my god, seriously. Oh, yeah.
Yeah, and when I get those bollers, I'm going to invest them all in Barney shitcoin. Shitcoin, oh, you're going to be so rich, yeah. buddy. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Listener.